The Mahe Mysteries is brought to you in association with Seychelles Tourism from the land of tradition, mystery and endless surprise. For more information, visit www.seychelles.travel. Mahe Mysteries, investigated by Patrick Muirhead, inspired by real events on a remote tropical island, but all characters and action depicted are imaginary. All that remains. Episode 10. I'll buy you a sabre, Roger, I promise. I said gratefully to the car park security guard for his tip-off at the government's internal affairs office. Right on cue, the door opened from which Angelique de Chalice, perfectly coiffured and elegantly sheathed in a mulberry satin shift and cream bolero jacket, stepped delicately but with impressive haste in high heels, a fat folder of ministerial matters under her arm. I held back, unobserved, to watch her unlock the driver's door of her saloon with a blip-blip before I scuttled forward and tugged open the door on the passenger side and slipped in beside her. She turned towards me with a startled intake of breath, white knuckles gripping the steering wheel. What are you doing? Get out! Not before we've spoken, Angelique. I have something to tell you and I think you have something to tell me. I gestured for her to drive. Let's go. Are you out of your mind? I could have you arrested. You could, but you won't, I said. We need to talk. Drive. I have appointments. My mother is under siege. Just drive, I said. Angelique manoeuvred the Mercedes out of the car park and into June Fifth Avenue. I gave directions instructing her to take us past the Bicentennial Monument into Bois de Rose Avenue and then into the empty car park at Stadlinite. I knew that once there, out of town, what we needed to discuss was likely less to attract the intrigued attention of passers-by. You have an abrasive, conceited manner, Mr. Muirhead. We should never have granted you permanent residence. After all, we don't yet recognize marriages like yours. Well, I am married, Angelique. I even have a wedding ring, which is something you don't possess, unless I'm mistaken, and you never have. Your impertinence, she snapped. Your baby, I replied. The baby you brought into the world outside matrimony at what age? Around 16 or 17, perhaps? Let's talk about him, shall we? What? she erupted. I have no idea what you're talking about. How could you? What kind of animal are you? Get out. Just get out. It's pointless to fulminate, Angelique, I said. I know about the relationship with Toto, the pregnancy, the birth... I know how Père Maurice and Marie's helped you get rid of it to save your precious family reputation. 
I know how you were packed off to the Sorbonne, and what I don't know, perhaps you can enlighten me, is how the baby's father ended up in a shallow grave on your mother's estate. So start talking, Care, and start now. Phew, she gasped. You, you are an English pig. How dare you speak to me this way? I can get you deported, you... And then her floodgates opened. The hitherto composed, elegant mask dissolved into a torrent of tears, mascara running in streams down the face that nightly TV news viewers had only ever seen delivering confident reassurances and official platitudes. It was, I admit, not exactly the reaction I had expected. You don't know anything, she uttered between sobs. Nothing at all. What don't I know, Angelique? Tell me. Tell me about your son. Son? What are you talking about? I don't have a son. I looked at her askance. For the first time, a flicker of transparent sincerity. She tugged the sun visor and inspected her tragically disordered makeup in the vanity mirror, composing herself without looking towards me. Something of the cooler administrator returned. It was as if she were resuming a defensive facade, perfected over decades. Your son, I repeated, undaunted. My baby, she sniffed. I suppose you are talking about my baby. She spoke with more control now. Well, I lost her, for your information. She was... Stillborn, a baby girl, not a boy, though it's no business of yours. She was taken from me at birth and I was sent away. So you really have absolutely no clue what you're talking about. And then I realised there was no possible way for her to feign ignorance so convincingly. I manoeuvred myself in the passenger seat to face her, completely certain that the news I was about to break was something about which she had not the faintest idea. A revelation so completely overwhelming, unravelling lies that she'd been told of such scale, with such profound repercussions, that her life would be changed irrevocably. You have a son, I said, and he is alive. And now you better let me drive. The Comtesse Marie-Alise de Chalice was standing in anticipation of our arrival under the pediment of her palatial residence as we pulled into the driveway of the Grand Cas, squeezing past a police car that was just leaving, a Chief Inspector Dugas seated within. Belle, said the Comtesse, bustling forward to kiss her daughter. But Angelique instantly pushed her away. Marie-Alise peered at me through the passenger window. Patrick, what on earth? Have you found a new engagement as a chauffeur? Not exactly, I said, as I slid from the driver's seat and followed Angelique towards the mansion. Is Bernard here? I thought it better we all go inside. What is going on? the Comtesse demanded. 
Will someone please tell me? I've had the police here all morning and the press and... Angelique turned and faced her mother. You had no right, Maman. No right. The Comtesse froze, dumbfounded at her daughter's outburst. What, Cherie? What are you saying? she said. Angelique fixed her with the coldest gaze I think I've ever witnessed in three decades of observing the behaviour of newsmakers. My baby Maman, where is he? Where is the child you stole from me? she said. Tell me, Maman, you said she was gone, but he, yes he, is alive. The Comtesse was frozen rigid for an instant, and then turned to me with a measured feline grace, like an elegant dance move in a traditional Séchois contourlé. What have you done? she whispered. What have you done? Angelique was moving swiftly into the house, only to find the way blocked by Bernard Joliqueur, the Comtesse's gatekeeper, who was coming out. Madame, I heard some commotion. May I be of assistance? he said, and then registered me with a fleeting smile. Ah, bonjour, Monsieur Patrick. It is a pleasure. Oh, do shut up, Bernard, said the Comtesse, pursuing her daughter. Get her inside. And him, gesturing at me, and bring us whiskey. It was far too early in the day for spirits, and I had no palate for a cosy tete-a-tete. Bernard was turning towards the house, and I followed him, his mistress and her daughter. His mistress? The realisation dawned on me with instant and complete clarity. Once inside the stifling gloom of the vestibule, two curving staircases radiating from it with majestic pretension to the upper floor, I seized Bernard's arm. Tell me about Toto, I said. But, Imsier, he replied, what are you implying? Why do you mention him? We never discuss the unfortunate Mr. Lafortine here. You must be aware. Because you murdered him, Bernard, I said. The Comtesse and Angelique, suspended in mid-step, turned to me. Angelique uttered a tiny sound like a breath. Isn't that right? I said to Bernard. You and Père Maurice, or you alone, a former Royal Marine, after he'd gone. That's it. You let the priest believe he'd killed Toto, but he was still alive, wasn't he? And then you finished him off with a grand couteau. An unconscious drunk who was barely breathing. You made sure Toto was dead, like the trained killer you are, before covering the grave. Isn't that what really happened that terrible night when Père Maurice begged the Comtesse for her help, before that dirty deal? You've allowed the priest to think he'd killed him all these years. And when a church inquiry focused on Maurice, you saw your chance to scatter the skulls of old sailors from the beach around the island and create a furore. But you knew only one person, Maurice, would recognize Toto. With the suddenness of a clap of thunder, Bernard thrust a tattooed arm at my throat, lifting me bodily, pushing me up against a wall. Demir du pilon anglais, he exploded. 
What you say, all you think, where is your proof? You are a disgusting English sodomite. He was choking the breath from me, my legs flailing, hopelessly unequal to the brute strength of a now middle-aged but still potent military veteran. Bernard, Bernard, do stop, instructed the Comtesse. For pity's sake. I tried to lift a clenched fist, but he was too fast and far better trained, deflecting it. You want to bring down this family, he said, but you will not. I will not allow it for her. I looked across at Comtesse. For the woman I love, do you have any idea what that means, Zornelise? To make a loyal sacrifice? I could feel my fingers tingling, as if my life was being steadily closed down one extremity after another. My head seemed ready to explode. Stop, I say, the Comtesse shouted. Enough! But Bernard, his familiar, ingratiating countenance, now a vanished illusion, gripped me with creole passion raging in his eyes. I had no doubt he would have dispatched me as he had dispatched Toto that fateful night, twenty years earlier, to protect the people that such a resolute sense of duty and ardour had instilled in him. His grip tightened. I remember distantly sensing flickering blue strobes lighting up the dim hallway. But it was too late. You have no dignity, Englishman. None. I tried to mouth some words in vain. You know only the sordid lust of Pilon, like the pervert Maurice. Enough, Bernard, the Comtesse ordered again. I would have killed him too, but Alice stayed my hand. All you Pilon, you are like the termites that exist, that destroy our forest. You destroy our Creole way of life. At that moment, a contingent of Dugas's squad piled into the hallway. Bernard loosened his grip. It was over, and he knew it. His monumental battle to preserve a vanishing domain inviolate, and the dignity of his lover, the Comtesse. To preserve their secret, in his view, a much more natural but culturally forbidden coupling. The proud Creole man, brought up to deference and trained to defend, and the white mistress of the highest birth in a relationship that could never be publicly acknowledged. When Chief Inspector Dugas had finished speaking to us, I led Angelique from the Grand Cas into the garden, past the Comtesse's sprawling beds of pumpkin and cucumber, towards the pleasured grunting of the tortoises, Napoleon and Josephine. They have the best life, she said, a new note in her voice. Certainly a more truthful island life, I said, as we turned past them. On the path to the beach, we came to the Comtesse's gazebo, a modest structure of timber frame and wooden shingles overlooking the shore, and found Samuel there, hard at work retraining an unruly frond of flaming bougainvillea. 
the amiable island boy, the firstborn, who, as he was soon to learn, would one day inherit the entire de Chalice estate. He stopped and beamed at me before turning quizzically to the mother whose existence he had never known. Angelique reached for his hand, looked at me and nodded. I left them together and walked slowly away. The Mahe Mysteries was created by Patrick Muirhead and Lindsay Farabo. It was written, narrated, and produced by Patrick Muirhead. Music was by Isham Rath. It was an operculum media production recorded on location in Mahe Island, Seychelles. The Mahe Mysteries is brought to you in association with Seychelles Tourism from the land of tradition, mystery and endless surprise. For more information, visit www.seychelles.travel. Hello everyone. My name is Tom Kearns and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.